It's Mike, your host of Get the Word, an etymology podcast for word nerds. We'll talk about the history and origin of words in English. If you're coming over from the English sessions, well, then I'll give you an even bigger welcome, loyal listener. Get the Word, an etymology podcast for word nerds, available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, I'm Shamar. And I'm Andrew. We're going to be doing a deep dive on all the connected DC animated movies in their cinematic universe. Yes, I'm here to discuss the interconnected storylines and point out how jacked everybody is. And I'm here to share a deep comic book knowledge like Batman having his own sneaker line. So check out yet another DC animated podcast. Part of the Forgotten Entertainment family and coming soon wherever you listen to your podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, please notice that exits are conveniently located at the front and rear of this auditorium. When leaving the theater, we suggest that the exit at the front of the auditorium will allow you easier access to the parking areas. Thank you. Nothing. You're done. <laughs> story elements, Butler. Story is a great thing. It's about is what we're doing. You're telling there me is a story, story and here. I, I don't. I'm like, oh, you're, <laughs> you're done. You're done. He hasn't. Le- he's still leaping, but he's not home yet. Right? Just, they just need to do the episode before everyone dies. Ziggy. <laughs> so when he has sex with them, <laughs> they bang. Hello, I'm Mike Butler. I'm Mike Field. And you're listening to the Forgotten Cinema Podcast. Each episode, we highlight a film that for a variety of reasons was forgotten by audiences, whether it be because a more popular movie was released at the same time or the film simply didn't catch on with an audience in its initial run. We'll discuss what we love about the movie or maybe don't love about it, but we'll always recommend you revisit it. You never know, you might find your own forgotten gem. If you enjoy our podcast, please feel free to rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you're listening to this podcast right now nice nice yep 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 right <laughs> running on running on empty running on running blind oh wait a minute, that's not what we're doing it's not in the film that's not i, I mean the big opportunity here big lost opportunity we are doing the hello mike how are you today i'm sorry I'm <laughs> we are doing the hello you. mike how are you yeah we are that's yes. a long time i'm doing title. I'm, I'm doing all right Phil. Excellent. hi how you Excellent. doing how i'm you all right doing? so we're doing the 1988 movie running on empty and i was singing the 1979 song from jackson brown uh also called running on empty which is a big lost opportunity why this song was not in the movie i just you know i, I don't understand i could have done it at the end could have done the beginning could have done the middle could have done anywhere butler Anywhere. I'm very sorry that that is what you took away from this film. (laughs) No, no, of course not. So let's get into the synopsis, and then we'll get into some facts, and then we'll get into our viewing notes. Just describe the format of the show. Arthur Pope and his wife Annie are fugitives, perpetually on the run from federal authorities due to their anti-war activity during the 1960s. Well, not just their activity blowing up a building. They're domestic terrorists. Yeah, I, exactly. <laughs> the couple moves around the country with their two sons, young Harry and his older teenage brother, Danny. On the verge of adulthood, Danny longs to set out on his own and live a more stable life, but he knows this could mean permanent separation from his family. It's an okay synopsis. There's a little, there's probably a little bit more room for a little diving a little deeper there, but you know. That's what we're here for, guys. <laughs> Running on Empty has a runtime of 116 minutes. It's rated PG-13, production budget of $7 million. It was released on Friday, September 9th, 1988. Opening weekend, it did $215,000. Domestic, <laughs> domestic and worldwide are equal in $2.8 million, so 
not really a box office success financially, more of a critic starling kind yes. of thing, critical success. I think that's what you get when you get Sidney Lumet mm, for the maybe. most part. Uh, production company is Lorimar Film Entertainment and Double Play, distributed by Warner Brothers. So I said it came out on the 9th of September, 1988. It went up against in a wide release, Moon Over Parador, the Richard Dreyfuss uh, comedy. You do not remember that? Uh, no idea what that is. <laughs> and I believe that's Richard Dreyfuss. Limited release also is Some Girls and Track 29. Uh, the 16th, which is the week after, you had these are all limited releases. And in fact, I think a lot of these films are considered limited releases because not everything was put out wide unless they were sure that it was a big, big time movie. This is the 80s, remember? So Man, limited, what a crazy time. <laughs> limited release, you had Messenger of Death, Seven Hours to Judgment, Miles from Home, and The Prince of Pennsylvania. None of which, none of which were. I have never seen these movies. I've heard of them. I'm sure Butler has not heard of any of them. No. And on the second of <laughs> September, which is the week before, you had Eight Men Out, the Black Sox film, Rocket Gibraltar, and The Deceivers. You heard of Eight Men Out, of course, right? Yes. Okay. Good. That is the only one. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so this movie, uh, Butler's. Uh, I think his name is City Lumet, but if you're saying Lumet, we'll go with Lumet. But I'm pretty sure it's Lumet. Is it Lumet? I'm pretty sure. I thought it was Lumet. I could, I could be wrong, too. We've been countless. That's we've been wrong up. on this podcast countless times. He's a legendary director, so that's he pretty is. bad that we don't. Unfortunately, he passed sure. away about 10 years ago. So he won't get mad at us. <laughs> Somebody will. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> he, um, he was nominated for a lot of Oscars for directing 12 Angry Men, Dog Day Afternoon, Network, and The Verdict. Verdict is a really good movie. Uh, he was also nominated for writing uh, for Prince of the City. Written by Naomi Foner. I apologize if I said that name wrong. She has also written The Dangerous Woman, Losing Isaiah, Bee Season, and Very Good Girls. Do you know that she is the mother of Jake and Maggie Gyllenhaal? I do know that. Excellent. Excellent. Uh, cinematography by Jerry Fisher. He's done the movie Victory, Exorcist 3, and Digstown. Did you ever see Victory? The Sylvester Stallone Nazi um, soccer game. They put this Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I like yep. that one. Yep. Yeah. Composer was Tommy uh, Motala, Motala. I probably said that wrong too. Uh, I've been pronouncing Lume wrong. It's Lumet. It's Lumet. Yes. <laughs> yes. My so, bad. Direct your anger at Mr. Butler. <laughs> Bring it. <laughs> um, I, I'm, now I'm going to butcher this name again. Uh, Tommy Motala. Motola. Let's go with Motola. Yeah. I'm not going to even. No, don't even bother. Danger, which is, I believe is a 50s or 60s show in the movie Violated. Edited by Andrew Monchine. He uh, was nominated for an Oscar for editing The Sixth Sense. He's also edited Ch Chocolat and the more recently Ma Rainey's Black Bottom. Produced by Griffin Dunn and Amy Robinson. Uh, everyone probably knows Griffin Dunn from his acting, uh, you know roles mm -hmm. uh, yeah i'm sure you as well right uh but he's also produced once around joe's apartment game six and fierce people he also actually directed fierce people joe's apartment joe's apartment uh <laughs> amy robertson is as produced with honors for love of the game and from hell amongst others all right so the pope family christine latte is annie pope she won an oscar for a live action short film lieberman in love she's also an injustice for all and gross anatomy she's also on chicago hope when that was big so that that might be where a lot of people have seen her river phoenix is danny pope uh he was in stand by me the mosquito coast little nikita which came out the same year and then obviously indiana jones and the last crusade so this is our third 
River Phoenix film because he did we did sneakers and we did I Love You to Death. And then Jonas Avery is Harry Pope. He's the younger brother. He's not really in a lot of stuff. He was in a movie called Slaves of New York, but that's about it. Martha Plimpton as Lorna Phillips. She was in Parenthood, Mrs. Parker and the Vicious Circle and the TV show Raising Hope. Obviously, she's in the Goonies as well. Uh, Ed Crowley as Mr. Phillips. He was in Three Days of the Condor Butler. We did that. Yes, we did. Serpico and Witness. Uh, L.M. Kit Carson as Gus Winnett. He was in Hurricane Streets, and he actually is a writer. He wrote Texas Chainsaw Massacre Part 2 and Paris, Texas. Stephen Hill as Donald Patterson. If he looks familiar, that means you watched Law & Order like I did because he played Adam Schiff on Law & Order TV show for like over 200 episodes. He's also in the movie Raw Deal, The Firm, and Billy Bathgate. And we have two Ghostbusters alums in this movie. I don't know if you caught them. We have David Margalis or Margulies as Dr. Jonah Reif, the dentist. Yes, sir. He was the mayor in Ghostbusters. And we have Alice Drummond. Just had a conversation with J.D. Reif. <laughs> Alice Drummond as Mrs. Powell, where the guy steals her credit card and she's the librarian in Ghostbusters. So I thought that was interesting. My yeah. father. Th- oh, who does father? Who did your fa- father think he was or her uncle? Oh, man, I can't remember. <laughs> uh, so uh, just real quick, this movie was nominated for two Academy Awards. Best Actor in a Supporting Role, River Phoenix, well-deserved. And then Best Screenplay, as well as Name of Honor, Naomi Foner, excuse me. Uh, It was filmed on August 17th, 1987 to October 1987. And that's all I got right now for facts. We'll get into some other stuff. Yeah, light on facts. Um, (laughs) This is an 88 film, so I'm going to assume you had not seen this movie. I have not seen this movie. Uh, Elisa's seen this movie. That's right. Uh, this is that's right. This, this is a suggestion. It's an Elise suggestion. That. So actually, before we go on, yes, let's listen to a recording from Elise that I totally listen to now and not ten weeks. Star now. of Cracking One Open, the podcast from <laughs> Forgotten Entertainment. Go ahead, Elise. Take it away. Hey, this is Elise. I am, I guess, Butler's fiance. That sounds weird. And co-host of Cracking One Open, also part of the Forgotten Entertainment family. So thank you to the mics for taking my recommendation for this season. Um, The first time I saw Running on Empty was in freshman year of high school. I had just kind of discovered, if you will, Stand By Me the summer before that school year. And I was obsessed with it, like watch it every day and learn every line kind of thing. So when I had to choose a famous person to write a report for drug and alcohol awareness class as a freshman, of course, I wanted to learn more about River Phoenix. And I ended up kind of going down a rabbit hole trying to watch every movie of his that I could get my hands on as 14-year-old girls do. But Running on MD really stuck with me. Not that I necessarily understood the political undertones of the movie at age 14, but what grabbed me then is that every member of this cast is so talented. I watched it for River Phoenix and ended up being enthralled by everyone's performance. Martha Plimpton is great, Christine Lottie, and especially Judd Hirsch, I think this might have been the first thing I saw him in that really made him a memorable actor for me. But really, there are just no weak links in this cast, and it makes for such a heartfelt and heartbreaking performance. I love this movie, and I hope you guys did too. I can't wait to hear your thoughts about it. So thank you again for choosing it, and enjoy the show. Wow, enlightening. Enlightening. Eh, You know. I'm not knowing what she said. Yeah. I'm pretty sure it was just, I had a crush on River Phoenix and I like this movie. Who who doesn't, <laughs> right? Who doesn't? Wait, wait a minute. 
This movie's 88, so she's like two, right? Or one? Stand By Me is like her favorite movie of all time. I don't know. He's younger than that, so I can understand her having a crush on this. She probably saw it younger, but yeah, eh, I guess so. I understand. I guess that. He has a lot of hair. A lot of hair in this movie. He's always got a lot of hair. I, know, I think this I know. lady's like. <laughs> <laughs> is it Butler? Is it? I don't know. My hair just froze up. <laughs> <laughs> I can't do what River Phoenix does. All right. So I'm curious <laughs> if. Now, this is going to be the cause of some derision in your household if you do not like this film because she clearly likes it. So <laughs> what did you think of the film, I guess, overall, before we kind of nitpick and dive into it? Uh, this is not a film I would normally watch. Uh, this film is long. It's it two hours. Feels, it feels long. But it's it's really it's really well done. It's really well acted. It's it's a very good film. Uh, I did I did quite enjoy it. Mostly the acting more than anything else. Uh, there were some story choices that didn't really jive with me. Mm -hmm. um, it's not perfect, but the acting in this film is so good. I think it kind of makes up for some of the shortfalls of the actual plot and stories okay. that happen. So, I mean, I did the synopsis real quickly, but basically the gist of this is that Arthur and Annie Pope, when they were younger, bombed a... University building, building, right? Like a, or a factory. A university. It was a university lab. They were building napalm for the war. They were, yeah. They, well, they were, yeah, they were concocting napalm. Yeah. Yes. Uh, they thought the building was empty. It wasn't. It actually, there the was some janitor. Was yeah. So they, they actually blinded him and paralyzed the janitor. Regardless, they're on the run from, for their lives or for, they don't want to get arrested. The FBI is after them. They're not the only ones the FBI after because I just, we talked about the character of Gary Winnett. Who's also part of Gus, Gus Winnett, excuse Winnett. me, who's also part of the underground. They, they have, they had Danny, the River Phoenix character while, you know, before the incident. While they were kind of right. these uh, they, radical right. people. They took them, they went on the run. They had Harry, the younger son, as they were uh, out and about. And they've just been on the run and they forced their kids to kind of been trained their children to recognize when know, the cops or feds are FBI coming out and you know what to do. They all have plans and it's, they're always moving. They never stick. You never stay in one place. And uh, so it's, so right off the bat, one of the things, one of my notes was just, am I not supposed to like Arthur Pope? Like, am I supposed to like, I, I understand Aside from the politics, because it's a kind of like, you know, it was a rough time and it's, you know, what, you know, when is enough enough in terms of what you do and stuff like that. But I'm not, we're not here to, we're not here to, I guess, argue that position. They did it. They're in trouble. Right. I don't even think the film is not there to do that either. No, of course That's not. just the inciting. Well, well the, the film is basically the big question of the film is, and Christine Lati, who plays Annie, says it. It's like, at what point, how are we to expect our children to suffer for the crime that we committed. Yes. Like they, they know they committed a crime and they did wrong and they know, but dragging their kids around and forcing them into this life at what point is, you know, is enough, it too enough. detrimental? Yeah. yeah, no, exactly. So I'm curious if I'm not supposed to like the father in this movie, if that's the intent. I wonder the whole, the, that the entire time as well, because Arthur Pope's a good guy. He's not a bad person, but he's making bad choices for selfish reasons um right. which you understand why during the film uh, they do give you a reason why obviously his mother dies while he's on the run and all he's got left is his family and he had to see his mother you know at airport terminals and just like across across big city streets and stuff like that he never actually got to see her right um and that's the reason that he's even more gung-ho about you know 
the kids will never leave us. We'll always be together because I won't be separated from the only people I have left. Right. But it's that's greedy. It's wrong. And then he doesn't really think about what's good for his children, just what he wants to do, kind of. But he's lo- but see, if Danny doesn't have the chance to go to Juilliard or doesn't have like you have the luxury of having see, you have the luxury of having Annie's family being rich. Right. And that you can just leave Danny with Annie's family and they can take care of him and they can cut, they can afford Juilliard. They can afford him to go on with his career. If you don't have that though, there's not much for Danny to do. Well, they do kind of open it up where Mr. Phillips, his music teacher who inspired Danny to go to Juilliard. I wish if you haven't watched this movie yet, Danny is like a piano prodigy. Because his mother was also, (laughs) she taught him how to play. Mother was, you learn later on was also a prodigy. Um, But Mr. Phillips even says, you know, there's a lot of scholarship. If you don't have the money, there's a lot of scholarship opportunity out there for someone like Danny. He would get in. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think her family being rich is a crutch, but also also a story point because you get that scene, which we'll talk about later with Annie and her father. Uh, I don't think her family being rich really adds much to Danny's story. I just think it's a it's an out that he is. So like so if they that could have been, they could have been poor or middle of the road and he could have still stayed with him because he would have gotten scholarships to go to Juilliard. You're assuming he's yeah, I, I get that. I, don't, I guess the film doesn't hang on that. Well, the idea that he tells well, at the end of the movie um, to jump ahead. Right. You know, he's basically like Arthur tells Danny, you know, you're staying. See ya. You know, where's Danny going from there? I guess back to the Phillips house, but he's got to come clean. Like I was the end of this movie. I kind of wanted to know what happens next. I wanted to know what happens with Danny. I, I needed like maybe five, 10 minutes of where is he now? Like what, how did this work out? Oh, see, this is one of the few moments where I'm not like that. Oh, okay. Where I loved where it ended that I like that you end on Danny watching his family go away and thinking, shit, what's next? I like that. I like that moment. Yeah, but see, I don't think it's that. I just don't think it's that type of film in terms of. Uh, I mean, I guess I I understand what you're saying. I just I wanted more. Like I just wanted more. I still want more. Even <laughs> it, even be- River Phoenix wanted more. He mentions at the Academy Award luncheon or something that he kind of wanted a sequel. But I don't know. I don't know if I need a sequel. I just wanted to know what happened to him. <laughs> Give me a short film. <laughs> you could do uh, have Joaquin pick up where his brother left off. Oh, that's no play an that, older that play an older Danny. Happen. Judd Hirsch is still alive. They don't Christine even Latte look alike. They don't even look alike. No uh, way. This is River Phoenix at fifty. It doesn't matter. <laughs> God, <laughs> you recast. <laughs> uh, but Danny's story isn't. Is he going to get into Juilliard? That. That happens later on in the story. And yes, it's a very interesting plot point. And will Danny end up with Lorna? Sure. Their love story is cute or whatever. The whole story is, will Danny ever be free? And he gets free. Well, he's going to live in the city. Like, so he's going to, he's, he's going to live with his grandparents. Yeah. He's going to live there, but he'll work. He'll probably he's work gonna out want the for, rest of the school year. He's going to want for nothing because they, they can afford it. Even if he doesn't get a scholarship, if he gets a scholarship, doesn't get a scholarship, it's clear that they can afford Juilliard. They can give him what he needs to get. So and, why do you care? That well, Danny's I mean, cool. Because Danny's I, right. I don't know, because <laughs> I guess I want, I want to see him. I mean, he meets his, he kind of under the guise of pizza delivery. He does meet his, his grandmother. Right. Just to kind of see her. But I kind of want to see that conversation between Danny and his grandparents who he's never seen or talked to in decade. Sure. That's all. 
I don't know. I just I I, I wanted to see a little bit more. I was I, I, I was more interested in his story progressing. I, I think that speaks to how well done the film the writing is, and then how how great a job River Phoenix did at playing Danny. He was a very he's a character you actually feel for that you want to see succeed. Uh, well, you're the one that you're the one that had problems with plot holes and plot points. I wasn't arguing I, that. My, well, no, my problem is what you pointed out. But that my first and main problem is Arthur Pope okay. and his contradictory attitude of of being a great guy and knowing what's right and wrong, but choosing the wrong thing for his family. Kind well, he's of. a do as I say, not as I do guy, and he, right. and, which which is evident when he comes home drunk one night and he's just basically revealing his name. Oh, I missed it. It's like, that's re- I did not like that scene at all. It's not, he's, it's too much. He, he's, he's, I, I get it. Like maybe he's cracking under the stress or he's falling apart because his mother died, like you said, and he's just struggling. He's struggling. Right. But, I mean, all that happens after, you know, his mother died. Gus is, uh, Gus returned is making moves on his woman. Yeah, that was weird. Like you can, uh, but regardless, he has that, guns and stuff. Gus yeah. is Gus is forty six in this movie too. I'm forty six now. I do not look like him. Oh, right. Judd Hirsch is also fifty three, and Christine Latte is thirty eight. First of all, Judd Hirsch had his shirt off in one of these scenes. I was just uh, like, woo. Off in a couple of those really, I remember the one he's in bed with his shirt off and then he's shaving with his shirt. Yeah, I was just like, Woo, was he easy like sex symbol back then? That's right. Could I sit? Could the kids, how about the little kid always in his underwear? It's like enough already. Uh, can you tidy whiteies put some clothes on? That's all kid? 80s movies, though. No, all the I know kids are always in tidy whiteies in the scenes. Is it also 80s where is this phrase because I've heard this phrase more than once? It was said more than once in this movie, but more than once in 80s films, you're certifiable. Like, oh, yeah, yeah, that's absolutely. like a complete 80s line. That's an 80s thing, yeah. yeah. You're certifiable, Butler. I think that's late 80s, early 90s. Yeah, certifiable was like the thing. Oof. (laughs) I also, now we're going down memory lane. I I also remember those milk handles that were for the- I vaguely recall. I think they were going before like pretty quick. So there are plastic handles that you slide the carton of milk in and we just wouldn't have to. It was like, they're awesome, but they don't make them anymore. (laughs) They're not around. But I remember that. And, And that home ec class. I had a home ec class in- Middle school, where you had all the stations and the ovens. Yeah, my middle school had the same kind of setup for their home. I was like, oh man, home ec. It's like it's it's a weird thing when you're in school and you're making food. It's weird. It's just like a weird like this this isn't where we should be doing this. I also like I don't know about their school, but they're like, oh, there's a there's a boy in our home ec class. They're all giggling. Yeah. In my in my school, like all the kids that were really dumb and didn't want to take actual classes all took home ec. It was like fifty fifty guys and girls. Yeah. So it was just like I'm gonna cook and get credit for school. Yeah, absolutely. I'm taking home ec. So two scenes I want to talk about where I thought the acting was really, really good uh, was the scene when Danny tells Lorna the truth about who they are. Mm-hmm. I thought Phoenix was really, really good in that scene. And the father-daughter scene between Stephen Hill, who plays Christine Lottie's dad, Arthur uh, Annie Pope, and I can't remember his name in the in the movie. Hang on, let me get his name so I don't Donald screw it up. Donald Patterson. Donald Patterson. I, th- I thought both of their acting was great in that scene. Um, I mean, Plimpton is good in, in the movie, but like that scene is the scene I'm talking about when Danny tells her the truth is really Phoenix's scene. So I thought he was really good in that scene. I don't know which scene you want to talk about first, but we can talk about that scene first because okay, okay. that scene comes first. Yeah, he's good in that scene. Absolutely. He's he's very much a. It's written very much like a kid uh, admitting stuff. He. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. He's obviously making choices that no adult would make when mm-hmm. he's doing all that and mm-hmm. saying things in a way that, you know, is very over emotional teenager, but it, it works and it's totally, I believe it. Yeah. I mean, I think, I don't, I think maybe people not younger now, but I think people growing up when seeing River Phoenix in films and knowing what River Phoenix, obviously he died way too soon. Uh, 
drug drug overdose drug overdose yeah. at one uh studio something one of the clubs viper club yep um everyone knows that but he's really really good and it's unfortunate because he, you obviously could see where he was going in terms of oh absolutely his, his, yeah. his acting career and, and he took know. acting seriously he was fantastic. oh of course yeah, like yeah. there's so there's there's uh, there's a couple moments here or a couple moments a couple facts here he got an argument with the writer because initially for a character choice for Danny was when he's playing the solo and he gets caught, mm -hmm. he breaks into a jazz riff. That's how it was written. But he didn't think that his character would do that. Right. And I think it's when he's in the house. No, I think it's when he's playing for the music teacher. Oh, you're right. I apologize. And so he didn't think he would do that. And he, and he argued about that and they argued about it. And Lumet liked Phoenix's passion about that, that he just was like, let's shoot it the way he wanted it. And then because that's he's, what, yeah. he so was into his character and right. knew his character. Yeah. Well, you appreciate that somebody who's young, and you're doing a movie like Sidney Lumet and you're an older director and you have somebody who's young and you wouldn't expect that from them. Right. Yeah. Usually you're going to, you have to bring that passion out of somebody, a youthful actor. But when you have a, an actor who's really, really good and knows what he wants and, and he, he shows that passion, then you're like, all right, I can trust him with this. Like he's really thinking about this. Right. And I like the way that they do that scene mm -hmm. in the actual, like he switches to, he still does switch to the jazz, but it's, it's more just a natural progression. Just, Okay, let me go to jazz now because I've shown off what I can do there. Right. Let me go into something more fun, kind of to match with the teacher himself. Um, Mr. Phillips did as well in class. Right. Um, and also he learned all the hand motions for the piano pieces, but he did not, it's not his audio, which I was a little bummed about. But he learned I all the that was, yeah, I thought that was he, weird. He learned all the motions and they dubbed it, they probably dubbed it by a professional because he probably just wasn't a prof professional Perfect. enough. Yeah. So, but he did learn all so he does know he did know how to quote play them, but he wasn't really playing it. Or they didn't use that audio. So I thought that was good too. I thought that was very interesting. But let's talk about the other scene. Yes. The scene between the parent, the father uh, played by Stephen Hill and then his Christine Lottie, Christine Lottie is uh, Annie Poe. What do you think of that scene? Why wasn't she nominated for best supporting actress for that scene alone? That scene is incredible. That is some amazing acting. You're going to make me find out who uh, you're going to have to, because uh. it's going to be tough for me to go. <laughs> All <right>. No. <laughs> All right, go ahead. Keep talking. All right. I, I mean, this, the emotion, first of all, I mean, we'll talk about Stephen Hill first. The emotion that he's holding is fantastic. You can see the tears welling up in his eyes as he's still trying to play the hard ass father who is mad at her for leaving, mad at her for abandoning her family, mad at her for upsetting her mother and her mother always wondering where she was, not knowing if she was alive or dead, being angry that she settled the things to him before she left about him being a radical or him being like the, the proletariat or whatever and God. him him basically causing the Vietnam War and causing it to continue and, and being part of the machine. An argument that many parents and sons Kids. and daughters had throughout those years. Right. Yeah. Uh, and he's still trying to play kind of the hard ass and, but you can see that his, he's holding up these walls that are, are crumbling that he doesn't know. Like, you know, that he's going to break down at some point. You wonder when that wall is going to break. And then it breaks at the end of that conversation. He tries so hard, even through her tears to hold it. And then as soon as he leaves, he lets it all out. Well, when she says to him at the end, I can't remember her last line. She said, I did love, I do love you. And I thought about you and mom every yeah, day. Yeah, and then that's her last and line breaks him. Yeah. But he holds it until she walks away. And then yeah. he reaches out for her and, and you know, yeah. cries and breaks down. And it's just fantastic. Well, I think it's fun, not funny, but, you know, when he's when she asks him to take Danny, he's like, he's not saying anything. It's like, you know, he's going to, you know, he's not going to say no, because it's that's just, his he, grandson. But he yeah. wants to keep playing that. 
Oh yeah. No. Keep those walls up. Yeah. Yeah. No, I get that. He's just, he's playing. Yeah. I, I, it's a lot, there's a lot of history in that conversation that we're privy to, but we, but we know about, but we right. don't see. Um, yeah. So, okay. So would you think she would be nominated for leading role or supporting? Supporting. You think supporting? I think supporting. Cause she's top billing. She's in a lot of this film. I would say it's river, uh, and then her. In terms of like, yeah. So then she would be. Oh, she'd be lead. lead? Who's she's? She's. It wouldn't. There has to be a. If you you have to have one lead actress in the movie, it's got to be her. It's definitely not Not Martha Martha Plimpton. Yeah. Okay. All right. So let's say she's lead. These are the people that were. I'm going to give you the nominees. Okay. And you tell me who won. I hope I've seen all these movies. You probably have not. Okay. Meryl Streep for Cry in the Dark. (laughs) I mean, Meryl Streep's great. She gets nominated for everything. Calm down. I was just the first one. (laughs) Melanie Griffith in Working Girl. Okay. Uh, Jodie Foster in The Accused, yeah. Glenn Close in Dangerous Liaisons, and Sigourney Weaver in Gorillas in the Mist. Who won? Uh, Streep? No. no. That is incorrect. Jodie Foster. Yes. Yeah, yeah. No, she and she deserved to win. Of course. Um, that movie's good. Really good. <laughs> get, get rid of uh, Melanie Griffin. Get rid of Working Girl. Oh, come Girl. on. Working Girl is a good movie. It's a good movie, but I don't think that's... Working Girl is... Come on. Best Mer- actress? Or get rid of Meryl Streep because she gets nominated for everything. This is before she got nominated Jeez. for everything. Uh, I mean, maybe I, I think you could, uh, that's fine. I, but Melanie Griffith for working girl, that was like, that was a breakout role. You weren't going to not nominate her. Sure. Yeah. Christina Lati in this dinner scene is amazing. What's funny is that Sigourney Weaver was nominated for actress and supporting actress, uh, for working girl. So that's interesting. She got nominated twice for two different movies. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Is that the, no, no, no. She got nominated for the same. Oh, no, you're right. No, no, for yeah. Yeah, yeah. 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 I wonder if that's the first time it's ever happened. Oh God. No, no, can't be, can't be. No way. I don't know. No way. That's an interesting. Uh, I mean, that's going <laughs> to so, take too long to find out. But so River Phoenix was, I said, was nominated for action supporting role. He right. went up against Alec Guinness and Little Dorrit, Martin Landau and Tucker, the man in his dream, Kevin Klein and a fish called Wanda and Dean Stockwell and married to the mob. Who won? Uh, fish called Wanda. Yes. Kevin Klein. Yeah. Won. Kevin Klein. Yeah. Interesting. Uh, that's a t- He went up against a lot of heavy hitters in that, though. Uh, I'm surprised about the Dean Stockwell one. You yeah. Married to the Mob? I have. Yeah. I am surprised he got nominated for that. Uh, but it's good. Oh, no. I just, yeah. Yeah, now, now we're, we're, uh, we're on yeah. an Oscar stage. River Phoenix right wasn't going to beat uh, uh, Klein and Fish Called Wanda. No, we're on an Oscar stage. <laughs> I apologize. But Christine, I mean, we could talk, like, her in that scene, all that emotion that she lets out, all that history she lets out uh, is absolutely fantastic. You believe that she had this history with him, and she lets out bits of their past and stuff. You find out more about her character in that one dinner scene. Uh, and more about her regret and more about how she feels in that five minute scene than the entire movie. And she like lets it all out and it's absolutely fantastic. Uh, speaking of actors, I just realized that I didn't, I didn't give any judge Hirsch stuff. I didn't do his credits. So oh, really? going back, Judd Hirsch plays <laughs> Arthur Pope. Uh, he was nominated for an Oscar for Ordinary People. He was in the TV show Taxi. He's also an ID4 and A Beautiful Mind. Okay, now we're back. I, I don't understand. I come looking at it going, I didn't I, I didn't talk about him. I, I, I've been talking about him. I didn't bring him up what he was in. He's one of the best parts of Independence Day. He just chose the scenery there. Mm. I don't, I don't want to start going on Independence Day. I know, I know, I know, I know, I know. Let's speak of budget movies. But you know what? Up. I'll take it back to... Let me bring it back to uh, running on empty because speaking of Independence Day, which is I can't stand when the dog survives. I can't believe they left the dog in the beginning yes. of this movie. Why? I'm watching going, I, I, was there something I missed? Why did they leave the dog? Exactly. It's like, so they get 
the beginning of the movie starts where first time we ever had to leave Jordan where we behind. see Danny playing baseball <laughs> badly. Like I love the fact that they say he's good at baseball. No, he is not. Did no, you see those stinks. three swings? He sucks. And then he makes the team when they go to the next the next town. No, how? He only makes the team in the first time because somebody got sick. Yeah, so he's uh, gonna make it. Anyways, they, that's like a whole subplot where you think that it might be Arthur forcing him to play baseball. Yeah, which I get, but they don't kind of like go they, into they it. They don't at all. Right. Yeah. So they have a dog, and they. Danny's on his way home. Yeah, Danny's on his way home. He sees the feds following him. So they, you know, they they make a break. They take the dog. They go. They get in the van. They drive off. And before they get to a hotel, wherever they go, they leave the dog. And then they drive off. It's like, first of all, why have a dog if you know that that possibly could happen? Right. And really, they're going to, you think that leaving the dog, they're going to be like, we're on the lookout for a family with a dog. It's got to be with a dog. Really? That's really that big of a deal? The thing is, his brother says, you know, we've never had to leave Juma behind before. Yeah. So, so why now? They've, yeah, they've clearly never done that before. Yeah, I, I, it's just to make you go, oh man, they have to leave the dog yeah, behind. I hated that. I it's hated essentially that. It's completely equal to killing a dog just to get the emotional reaction out of an audience. Don't have the dog. Then. It's don't la- have the dog. Lazy writing. <laughs> you hear that, City Limited? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I was so I was so annoyed with that. I'm like, come on. The other thing that was annoyed me was when the teacher, Mr. Phillips, plays. The songs in the in the class. In the beginning, right. So he plays um, "Lucky Star" from Madonna. Number one, wh- why are you getting up and dancing? Why are those two kids getting up and just start dancing in the middle of the house? First of all, I hate kids like that. I hated them when I was a kid, and it's like <laughs> all about them. It's like sit down, sit down. I get it if you're in your seat and you're like woo and you're clapping, but you get up. And then you'd like do a dance number. Maybe go, he asked them to do it before. The go class away. Time. Go away. I prove a point about rhythm. Yeah. You guys get no. up and dance. Boo. I hate it. <laughs> I hate kids like that. I hate people that do that. It's like, it's not a, it's always about them. Oh, anyways. Sorry. I apologize. <laughs> <laughs> Some people peak in high school field. <laughs> Well, that was their did. that was their crowning achievement. <laughs> Do you remember that time? They could be at their twenty year anniversary. Remember that time we danced in music? Oh class? man, it was just the best. And that that loser Danny came in. <laughs> Speaking of Mr. Phillips, we're going on these little tangents now. Uh, where is their money from? Like they're supposed to be wealthy, right? Oh yeah, he's a high school teacher. How much are you getting, dude? I don't know. How, what, where is Mrs. Phillips? Hey, what, what is, is she? Mrs. Yeah. Phillips Let's, we, I mean, can we just get like some throwaway line like you're from old money or you're the wife had has money? Because I can't buy the fact that you're having symposiums in your house for all these rich people and you're a high school music teacher. I know that it's the 80s, but you were not paid that well. <laughs> She's got to have a different job or something because why would you have all the music? They never there? say yeah, anything. They never explain it. They never say anything. Although they do also say that uh, Lorna's older brother is at Yale. As well, they clearly have money. They got money, I get yeah. It. But where is? I want. I need to know where it's from. Are they on the run? Do they? Do they, are they thieves? They were money launderers. Yeah. I love. I love how <laughs> Lorna is terrible with her father. Like she just yells at him. But then I'm. Th- but then I'm like, I think twenty years ago, me would have been like, ah, she's mean. But having a teenage daughter now, that's on point. That's on point. <laughs> <laughs> Can you close the door? Yeah. Can you knock? Yeah. Close it's, the door on your exactly, way out. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Let's give you a little insight into the household field. Can you tell the kids that there's dinner? Sure. Knocking the door. Hey, dinner. What? <laughs> I get that. I get that. So, yeah. No, I absolutely believe uh, Martha Plimpton's portrayal of that teenage daughter. <laughs> <laughs> I like, how do you like when he takes her hat? He's at, he, Danny goes up into <laughs> Lorna's room. Like plays like fake air, like blow up air guitar. Yeah. Takes a hat, then yeah. leaves with the hat, steals the hat, and yeah. then throws it in the river <laughs> like five seconds well, how, later. How about like when he goes into the house and initially 
The first time he goes to the house, now hello, and walks in. in, walks in, doors open, walks in, plays on the piano, and then Phillips has yells at him. It's like your door was wide open, man. Yeah, can you lock your door before yeah. you leave or yell at your daughter for you, leaving the door open? I mean, you, your door was open. He said hello three times. He, I mean, whatever. But yeah, then he, <laughs> then he takes the hat. I, I didn't, I didn't get that whole thing. Oh, this hat, this, screw this hat. Yeah, I'll no. never have this hat. I'm again. no barbershop quartet. <laughs> Also, they have this this scene, a fantastic scene uh, with Annie's birthday mm-hmm. and Laura's invited and they give her gifts of stuff that they find and stuff like that. Which is lame. It's <laughs> lame, but whatever. It's sweet. It's, it's like overly saccharine, but whatever. Really? Is that what you do? See, that's the thing. No. no. I have no experience with that in, in no, any kind of family no, setting. Yeah. yeah, okay. But they bust out this cake and it says, play it again, Sam. And yeah. Annie I, makes this reference that, you know, oh, we're all Sam on our birthday. And then he explains later on, it's because they can't write down their real names on the cake. So blah, blah, blah. But here's the thing. Why don't you just have a cake that says happy birthday? Why do you have to have a cake that says yeah, play it again, Sam? There's a, yeah. There's a lot of stuff that is, it's almost like convenient or Well, it's just almost for, like filmmaky or writery. Yes. You know, it's, it's just something like that's it. Like if this was based on a book that was in the book, but that's not something you, it's not real life. Like. Agreed. Yeah. I also think when Gus is first meets Annie in the doctor's office, it makes no sense because if Gus is also um, part of their liberation, liberty, liberation group, whatever, <laughs> he would know not to visit her at work and cause a scene or anything like that. Yeah. Would, like that's just we're on the r- for- Well, like they're on the run. They're underground, but they never really give you the sense of like, like, I'm sorry, but if the FBI was tracking Danny, then they know what he looks like. Right. They, sh- uh, they dyed his hair and gave him contact. Yeah, which again, <laughs> uh, they say that, but you never see, you never see Danny struggling with that. Like you never see, and I get it. It's more about the drama. Right. But still there's, there's kind of a gloss over of the actual mechanisms of what they're doing oh yeah there's a complicated network of people that clearly are still part of the liberation group people that are now just have normal jobs and yeah like okay they're obviously they're a domestic terrorism group regardless of why they did things or what they did they're domestic terrorists right so there's never a sense of of how close the fbi are who's after them i mean you're not gonna i you don't want to really start bringing in another character who's the head of the fbi who's who's tracking them down because it it becomes a different different story yeah and the drama in this movie clearly it's tommy lee jones (laughs) (laughs) the drama in this movie is very well done so that you're okay not knowing all that stuff but you're talking about it and then you just start kind of like saying well what about this what about this the bombing is actually loosely based on a 1970s bombing of sterling hall in university of wisconsin but someone did die during that yes somebody did die during that also for quantum leap fans out there (laughs) there's an episode of quantum leap called animal frat where sam leaps into a fraternity brother and he has to stop uh the boyfriend, right? Is it the boyfriend of the girl, or is it or their friend? Yeah, have to. He has to stop. I don't really. Yeah, they're, the they're trying to. They're trying to. He'll bomb. end up paralyzed right. if he doesn't. They're bombing. Well, he thinks that's why, but the real reason he gets, par- he gets paralyzed when he jumps into the water at the end because that's. Oh, is that why? That's why he gets. I paralyzed. remember that they had to say like it's an animal he, testing. He slips lab. and yeah. misses the pool at the end. He's just got to make this leap to oh, leap. Remember that? And then I don't remember that. So he's so basically. The, the, I remember the rest of the episode, but I don't remember that part. So now we're gonna get some quantum leap stuff. That's so fine. in the animal frat, they have to they use the um, uh, they use the what is it? 
slingshot. They use a slingshot that they developed and right, yeah, yeah, yeah. goofing off to shoot the bomb out and explodes. And they like think it's like fireworks because he was like this girl and this girl was part of this uh, uh, movement in the college and they were going to bomb the college. And so they stopped that. Then he goes back to the frat party and it's like this like tiki party and he's supposed to jump in this little pool. And Al's like, you just got to make the leap to leap. And he's like, oh, this isn't much. And then the things st- and he starts going up on a winch and he goes up really high because I guess in the original history, he slips and breaks his neck. So he just has to make the jump. And as he jumps, he gets it's in, he makes it and he leaps. And I love Quantum Leap, so I could talk about Quantum Leap all the time. Well, I let's apologize. do it. Quantum Leap. No, <laughs> no, but I'm. Do, 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 but, it, it, but if if anybody really wants to have a deep conversation about Quantum Leap, I'm here because he's still leaping. He still needs to come home. And, and that show is fantastic. He never leaps home. He, listen, he never, he hasn't, le- he's still leaping, home. but he's not home yet. All right. <laughs> just, they just need to do the episode before everyone dies. Ziggy. <laughs> Of course, now 10, 10 weeks from now, I watch Dean Stockwell pass away. You're going to have to be like, ding, hey guys. Oh man, no, I don't want to do that one. No. I'll do it. I don't want to do that ding. I'll do it. We'll do it in memoriam for Dean Stockwell. <laughs> um, if you haven't seen Quantum Leap, it's an 80s move show and it's awesome. It's awesome. And it's on Comet right now if you have that show. So it's on like, you know. I believe it's also on Netflix as well. Is it really? Yeah. I, I have the DVDs, <laughs> physical media, am I right? Uh, I know. All right, well back to running an empty. Why do you think it was forgotten, Butler? Well, what were we talking about when we went to that quantum leap? Because the Animal Frat episode has oh, the similarities to the bomb. Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, before we went off that spinoff with the Gus scene, <laughs> the whole thing was that Gus is sitting there, right? And he's next to the old lady with her pocketbook. And then she walks up, clearly leaving her giant ass backpack sized pocketbook on the couch next to Gus. And we see Gus look at it as she leaves the room and then comes back. And he's like, oh, here, ma'am. Clearly, he stole something from the pocketbook. It's such an obvious plot point that I'm just like, oh my god. Well, she's come on. She's she's gonna end up working at the library in New York City. She's gonna get possessed by ghosts and stuff. Whatever. She's gonna. <laughs> Are you currently menstruating? What? <laughs> Do you have a history of family issues? Does that count? I think so. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I just thought that was a little over the top. Why is this forgotten? Yes, because it's old. Jeez. No, it's not. It's You're it's a little then. older. You're old then. This is 32? I know, it's a, year, it's a year younger than me. I think it doesn't have a cast of... I think if River Phoenix were still alive, this would not be as forgotten. Oh, I really? I would think him passing away would make this movie less forgotten because you'd want to go back and watch his films. He's nominated for an Oscar in this movie. Great. Do people still... I mean, I don't think anybody my age or definitely not anybody younger than me are talking about River Phoenix anymore. Do you think this movie could like, like be a Criterion Collection movie? Let me ask that. Uh, yeah, that's probably what would happen. Now, mm, maybe. I don't. In a couple few years, yeah. Uh, I, I don't know why this movie. Well, I could see this. I mean, this movie should be on like TCM or should be like a TCM classic that you see at a Fathom event or a theater or something like that. Right. I mean, this movie is. It's a slow burn. It's it's definitely a, a character piece. It's not exciting. It's not. Uh, it doesn't have like super memorable lines or anything like that. It's just a good, well acted film. But I think it doesn't have anything stand out where you're like, I mean, I think the dinner scene between Annie and her father is uh, amazing, but I don't think it's got anything stand out that really stands the test of time where you're just like, yes, I remember <laughs> this or this or that about the movie. Judd Hirsch is a really good actor, but Judd Hirsch is not bringing people into the theater, unfortunately. Right. Yes. I mean, he's great in Taxi. Taxi is a great show, but he's not, he's also not the reason why people watch Taxi. Yeah. So it's, he, He's a strong performer. He's just not putting putting butts in the seats. Right. Put it that exactly. Way. So yeah, I, I I guess that's probably more of the reason why maybe you don't 
see this movie more often. I mean, this movie is on HBO Max. That's where we saw it. So it's obviously Warner Brothers films. So it's yes. in the library. Um, I, I, I think it's a movie that people should go back and watch. I mean, there, if, if like, you know, this whole podcast is about forgotten films, movies that maybe you saw once or never heard of. And I think this movie is definitely worth people watching again. Oh, absolutely. Um, Just, if you like dramas, I mean, they're, they're, they're far and few between studio dramas these days. So, I mean, it's, it's a, it's a drama with a lot of good people in it. And it's got really great performances by almost everyone. If you are into acting, if you want to see what like mm-hmm. acting's all about, this is a film where the, every character, or at least all your mains, have really put work into their characters' past and history. And it shows without having to tell you their past or histories. It just, the work that they put into making their characters really shows throughout this film. Yeah. And it's got a strong hand in the direction. Charlotte Cindy Lamette is a legendary director. I mean, I love yes. 12 Ringing Men. A Dog Day Afternoon is really good. Network's really good. The verdict is awesome. With Paul Newman. He did the original murder on the Orient Express. Right. So, you know, you're not going to go, you're, we're not guiding. This isn't a movie where like, Oh, you might not like it. We're not guiding you to a bad movie. If you like dramas and you're into like those type of like character, it's almost a character study, a little bit of a family. I think so. Yeah. Then this is a definitely a movie that people should check out. Um, much like how they should check out us Butler. That's nice. Right. Like segue. Segue. nice. <laughs> <laughs> they should check us out at forgotten cinema or wherever you get your podcasts. And while you're listening to us on whatever other podcast platform you're on, <laughs> why don't you do us a favor? Give us a little bit of a rating. Give us a little bit of a review. Subscribe to our podcast if that's what you want to do. Help us grow. Help us uh, help us succeed. Why don't help you do us that? Succeed. Doesn't, doesn't cost you nothing. We're you not succeeding. Somebody else. Are we not succeeding. Oh, not no. if they don't. If oh, they don't no. hit that subscribe button. Oh gosh, <laughs> it's the only way we'll leap home. <laughs> <laughs> oh come on now. You could also find us on the social medias at Forgotten Cinema or Forgotten Cinema Pod, depending on where you are. We post commercials every Thursday and we post every day of the week. Join us in the lobby, our new Facebook group. Yes. Uh, where you can uh, talk films with us. We're just there right. to chat in that place. Yeah, right. We're gonna the lobby is gonna hopefully become something a little bit more inclusive, not inclusive, more important for us in terms of just we'll be sharing a lot more stuff there. We just don't want to blast everyone's Facebook. Uh, newsfeed with all of our stuff so we want to kind of keep it where you know keep it in the lab the fans and the audience are people that listen to the show um so it's just it's it's just basically us chilling hanging out um you know come come visit you can uh you just have to just say you want to join and then we you know we're not denying people acceptance just say you want to join and we'll let you in um, right. yeah so uh yeah and then a couple of things uh, obviously we've been doing compendium episodes so state this week we'll be doing uh dramas of 1988 which I was surprised that there are a lot because I was going through them. Mm-hmm. So we'll be talking about some other dra- dramatic films during that year. And then join us next week where we're blasting forward to 2015. to a movie that I have told several people to watch and they have yet to watch it. Uh, and I think you have not watched this. But we're doing the Jack Black movie, The D-Train, which is an independent film in 2015. And don't, I, yeah. yeah, don't no No recollection so, of this movie. So I'm going to tell you right now that there is a moment in the, in the D-Train that I, we are going to talk about next week. So if you have not seen the movie... And you don't want to know the moment in the D train that kind of like turns the movie on its heel or on its head. Then don't listen to the episode next week. Watch the movie before. You know what? Before I do that, let's find out where it is. <laughs> so you can tell people where yeah. to find it. Yeah. Okay. So right now, 10 weeks earlier, it's on Amazon Prime. So it's a Prime Video premium subscription. So you, it's free on Amazon Prime. Okay. Check it out. The D train. We're doing that next week. Uh, it's from 2015. So it stars Jack Black, James Marsden. It's an independent film. Not a lot of people. I, I, Cause I remember I saw it and like nobody heard of it. Um, so we'll be talking about that next week. And that's it. That's all I got, Mike. Sweet. All right. So uh, we'll see you next week. I'm Mike Field. I'm Mike Butler. And this has been Forgotten Cinema. 
If you play that at the end of the clip, it's not going to play on YouTube. They're going to block it. <laughs> but if I sing it, they won't block it. It's more like you humming. Attention, culture consumers. Join me, the queen of queries, Sarah O'Connor, and my band of nerdy knights. Colleen McMillan. Flo Siegel. And Anders Drew. On Bohemian Geek Studies, where we take extremely dorky dives into our favorite fandoms, especially that Star Wars galaxy far, far away. Listen each week as we examine the stories that mean so much to us. Bohemian Geek Studies is available wherever you get your podcasts and is proudly part of the Forgotten Entertainment family.